Hello, my name is Ivy, and you are listening to Designer Dow. Designer Dow is a place where we talk about everything web and design. Hello, my name is Ivy, and I'm here with I suck at this, Paulia. (laughs) (laughs) I know this man, I've met this man, but I can't pronounce his name to save my life. Paulo. Paulo. Who is my co-host? Uh, welcome to Designer Dow once again. You, you, uh, you, you can start again if you want. I mean, <laughs> no, let's be human about this. I'm, I'm yeah, putting all of it. I have no time to edit, so um, let's do it. <laughs> today we're going to be talking a little bit about like UX workshopping and what that means in Web three, and we'll, we're going to go down a few rabbit holes. But I guess Paulo. Um, do you have any opening thoughts about workshopping and workshop deliverables? Yes. You, you just pronounced my name pretty well, by the way. So that's good. Uh, thank you. Um, um, yeah, workshopping. I mean, I do love to come up with a good workshopping, with a good workshop to do with, with, uh, with people that I work with. Uh, but... Um, I've seen uh, endless, endless instances of people that uh, put together a workshop that uh, they don't really know what they're doing. And um, even worse than that, they try to wing it and um, they um, they completely fail on the outcomes of the workshop that, uh, that the workshop was supposed to have. And even worse, they demoralize a team <laughs> around uh, what workshops could be and um, what would the valuable outputs could be of, from that and all that. So um, I do love to put some workshops together for the teams that I work with, but they are really, really, really hard to, to pull off uh, properly. They require a bunch of work for preparation and planning. Mm-hmm. That um, it's 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 really hard work, and so um, uh, I'm uh, inspired by a few occasions where I was able to create magic in workshops, which is which is the goal of workshops, but uh, it doesn't always happen. And um, if you want to make sure it happens, you really need to prepare it and be very, very diligent about it from the type of people that you include in the workshop, from the exercises that you do in the workshop, for the way you facilitate it, for, you know, the way you manage conversation in the workshop, to make sure that everybody can be heard. It's it's a, it's a bunch of work. And um, um, it has the potentiality to create magic, but it doesn't always happen. So it can be quite frustrating at times as well. Yeah, I personally have a little bit of workshop phobia, although I do and have used workshops very in a very productive way. And the reason why I am kind of reluctant towards um, workshops is because it is like it has been a vessel for design by committee a lot, mm-hmm. in, in my opinion. Um, and it has been a vessel to control and influence design in a way that does not feel um like collaborative it feels very top down like oh let's do this workshop and we're going to discuss all these these design things and at the end of the workshop it really just becomes like a long way of taking a long order of what they feel like design should be without any like nuance or looking at the problem that we're trying to solve from a designer lens and all those considerations and that's why, like you said, it's really hard to pull off workshops well. Yeah, um, yeah. And and even and even when you do, I mean, by the way, I think it's really hard to pull off. I think if I had to guess what the success rate of workshops, I would say it's like five percent, even less, maybe. Uh, so ninety five of ninety five percent of workshops probably fail in the outcomes that they have. Uh, even when they they are uh, properly planned and uh, and prepared, because it is kind of uh, the whole thing. You're you're you're. I mean, you're you're, um, you're dealing with um, with uh, human beings that you know 
they can be quite um, predictable. And so even when you do prepare a whole workshop and you've um, planned everything beforehand and so on, and you actually did a good wor- a good job at that, even then it can go wrong because someone uh, says something or decides something or forces something into, into somebody else's and, uh, and it could be, that can take a, a wrong turn, right? So um, it is still a game of, uh, chance a little bit, but also I would say skill from the facilitator side to be able to manage all that if possible. And um, yeah, I mean it's 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 um, it's a hard thing to pull off properly. But uh, I do think that when it works, uh, it can be magic in in a way. Um, but to your point, I would say that not everything should be should be workshopped. For example. I am more, much more interested in workshopping uh, things um, a little bit earlier in the design process, like the strategy and positioning of the product that we're designing and stuff like that, than to workshop specific designs or specific features or specific, uh, you know, smaller stuff. Um, and so I think people should also be a little bit um, careful uh on choosing what they want to workshop, um, and uh, they also should not should not just you know use workshops for all the things in the design process. They should just be used for the for the things where collaboration and um, the collective intelligence of a group is really something that could be harnessed to decide. So yeah, yeah, I would say. Um... You need a couple. Let's talk a little bit about that that preparation and how you can easily create a, a workshop that isn't useful or becomes designed by committee. One yeah. thing that I, I think about is audience, right? Who are the people in the in the room? What is their expertise, and how can I leverage that to to um to get my goal accomplished? So. For instance, like if you're doing a workshop around uh, information architecture, but most of the people in the room don't have the know-how or knowledge about how the implications of their decisions are going to affect usability in UX, you might not want to workshop that. Also, another thing, a lot of times, like if you're working with developers and they're not particularly the kind of developers who generally care about things like um, product decisions or UX or like, um, or they don't they don't have any investment or use for personas and things like that. You might not want to workshop, you know, a persona or the results of a persona, you, you know, user research with them because they don't they don't they're so dense sometimes in their role that they're not going to immediately see the usefulness of, of participating. And I think secondly, you you need to define your purpose. Like, okay, do I, once you have the right people with the right skill set in the room, you know, what is the purpose of the workshop? Like what insights do these people have given their subject matter expertise that will add more rigor to the overall practice of workshopping um and what is why are they all here in this room because i mean a lot of people get pulled into meetings and they always beg the question is like could why do i need to be here this isn't a part of my job and if you have like people who aren't like enthused to do the work like that can sway you know the results of your of your workshop and lastly it's like purpose and goal which are kind of tied like the goal of the workshop what is going what is going to be made better by having done this you know what before you even prepare the workshop you should have a goal or you know a mission statement or something written down that's like okay if we do this then we're going to be able to do a b and c and um frame that at the beginning of the workshop because people like i said start to question like what why are we doing this what's the purpose if you define that and the goal out of the workshop people are more likely to be enthused to do the thing um and also like yeah i think workshops are kind of like a a, a, as in you know not as intensive but can be as intensive as as planning like user research sometimes you know yeah i uh, i think you 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 touch on the on the main things there i i do want to say that uh, i think um 
I mean, I, I think I I spend most of the time preparing workshops. So let's let's break it down into into three parts, right? Uh, defining the goal of the workshop, like what is the outcome that we want to have after we've done this, and uh, then defining you know the actual activities of the workshop. What are the things that we're actually going to do, and you know the the agenda and uh, how much time we're going to spend on it and stuff like that. Kind of like the structure and the activities on in the content of the workshop. And then the audience, who is going to be there, right? And I think, so I said this uh, from the finish line to the beginning, right? So the goal, the activities, and the audience. But I do think that in the preparation of a workshop, people should spend most of their time not defining the goal of the workshop, not defining the activities, but actually curating the people that are going to be there. Because the main ingredient of a workshop is the human beings that are going to participate in there. Mm-hmm. And um, you should be very, very careful who you invite to a workshop. And not, mm-hmm. just, and, and not just in the sense of, oh, they should have different skill sets. Uh, yeah, that's, that's one criteria. But you, you should optimize for diversity of almost all criteria. And mm-hmm. so the, the main one that I worry more about is... Um, uh, you know, uh, uh, having a balance of authority in the workshop. Mm. So, if there's uh, if there's the CEO in the in a workshop, then he needs to be uh, he or she needs to be um, balanced out with a bunch of other people that maybe don't think like them, right? And so, um, a, a big risk that people uh, incur when they do workshops is that uh, they end up following the opinion of the highest paid person in the room of the hippo, you know? And so uh, one thing that you as a workshop uh, creator, designer, facilitator should be aware of is that most likely the best idea is not going to come from the highest paid person. So uh, you need to facilitate the workshop in a way that um, actually the best ideas come out. Even the, 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 you know, the quietest voices can speak and can be heard and their ideas can be um, built on top of and um, having a diversity of, you know, authority in the workshop is really important so that um, people just don't use the workshop as a, as a way of getting their opinion through. And now that uh, uh, the outcome of the workshop is exactly what they were uh, thinking about that the solution should be before doing the workshop, then, uh, you know, um, the whole team could lose a little bit of faith on, on, on the value workshops because then we should just, you know, follow what the, what the CEO already thinks, right? And that's not, that's not really what workshops should be about. Workshops should be about finding the best ideas independently of where they come from. And that's why, as a workshop facilitator and designer, you should be very, very, very careful in selecting the people that you will have in the workshop because you should end up with a selection of people with a with a with a group of people that is diverse enough so that all the ideas could come out and uh, all the ideas can be um, judged in the same level level playing field and uh, not just the loudest voices um, are heard. So yeah, I would uh, say I have a question. So I guess to workshop or not to workshop is a question. I guess what is the what is the best scenarios that you say maybe may warrant a work workshop and what are some scenarios that you feel like doesn't warrant or what start or can like derail the integrity of design in a workshop for format uh, and i'll answer that question too when, you, when you're done yeah um well i would say that the criteria that i use is um um is this is this this thing that we want to know is this something, uh, is this information that is in the minds of multiple people in the organization or just in one person's brain? If it's just in one person's brain, you probably should just, you know, interview that person and do uh, normal research activities like that. Um, but if it is in the minds of several people in the organization, like, for example, uh, a question like, who are our customers, right? Um, and... Probably people from customer support know something about that. Probably people from sales know something about that. Probably people from marketing know something about that. Probably people from um, 
design knows something about that. So there's a bunch of uh, uh, human beings with different brains that know something about that question. And so if that's the case, then maybe a workshop could be a good idea to uh, capture that collective intelligence about that subject, right? And so that's one of the criteria that I use to decide to do workshops with. Um, but uh, uh, actually, as you said previously, if it is a more uh, specific issue, a more specific question, like what should be the information architecture of this uh, section of the website or something like that, maybe that doesn't really warrant a workshop, right? So maybe that requires people that have a little bit of context and skill around that subject. And uh, that's maybe something a little bit smaller. And uh, maybe one of those people that has the skill can propose uh, an option and then do a design review with uh, uh, another person that also knows a little bit about it and, and kind of get to a solution like that, right? So a workshop is not really... Uh, fully needed because for those kinds of purposes, right? So, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I mean, things that you suspect that are part of a collective intelligence, intelligence of the organization could be good things to do workshops about, uh, everything else, not so much. (laughs) So that's kind of the criteria I use. Yeah, honestly, I feel similarly. I don't have too much to add. I guess if I had to think of like a real world scenario, like whenever we're doing like product prioritization, like what should we do next, you know, for our product? What should that roadmap look like? What things are going to actually, you know, move KPIs or move the needle? Like you said, that requires a collective intelligence because I'm looking at it from a UX perspective. I'm interacting with users fairly, you know, um, you know, often. And then the CEO or the founders of the company, they, they have like more business objectives, and things like that, you know, engineering, they have more like, you know, technical focus objectives. And you need all of those people in the room to, to kind of curate, you know, a priority or a product strategy together and or even plan the next set of like quarterly work, yeah, uh, which you can example. do in, in a workshop environment. But like, I guess one thing that I've noticed, especially in Web3, you know, moving to the Web3 context is that everybody wants to be involved in everything always. And as a designer, that can be very uh, frustrating because especially since we're often outnumbered in DAOs, so it's probably one or maybe two of us, and we can often get kind of forced into workshops or forced into facilitating workshops. So people, uh, like I said earlier, control or feel like they have a sense of control over design, but the work in the workshop isn't actually, you know, done well. And also all it does is like, draw out a process that the, probably the designers could do themselves anyway. So I guess what is the, the reason why people do that is because they want to feel like design is collaborative. But, and so that's why they, you know, these like bad workshops get, you know, created. But I guess what is a way for us to collaborate with our team members, especially in these DAOs where we're outnumbered, but also not maintain the integrity of design? And honestly, I haven't fully figured it out yet. And I'm curious to, to think what you, what you think about that. Yeah, I, I think there's there's a, a two problems in there, which is usually in, in decentralized organizations, people use workshopping as a, a method of include inclusion. So, hey, this is a DAO. So uh, since this is the DAO, we should include everybody in every decision. Not not all DAOs are like that, but uh, they, they kind of start off like that. Uh, and they do push for consensus, right? Um, and, and so, workshopping is used as a way, as just a, a, a tool for inclusion, basically. But it doesn't really work because uh, usually they're not really well facilitated, and the loudest voices are the ones that are heard either, either way. So, might as well just you know ask the loudest voices to decide, and that's it, right? You you would end up with the same with the same with the same result. So that's not that's not really a good use of workshopping, and it is just you know the the one of the um, most common most you know uh, straightforward tools that people have to their disposal to include a bunch of people, but uh, um, in those cases the facilitation needs to be really 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 high quality, and in most cases it, it is not to produce good results. And so what ends up happening is you know the loudest voices get their say and what gets decided is what the loudest voices uh always um wanted it to be and and that's it um so that's one problem is uh people in decentralized organizations using workshopping just as a tool of inclusion 
and um and not facilitating those moments correctly and another issue is um well actually i think i think uh, uh this is the symptom of the of the root issue which is uh in the centralized organizations that's not the the structure and the um where uh, authority lies is not really well defined and so um people start off from the from the from the point of view where uh everybody's equal everybody can decide everything but then some people are more skilled at some things than others and so they should probably decide more things about those issues than others uh but the, those um agreements let's say are not really formalized and are not really transparent and clear and so um since that uh, um, a lack of clarity uh, is not there, people uh, are actually correct to assume that uh, they can have a say in all the matters, even if there's if they if they're not an expert on those matters, and that creates uh, that can usually lead to uh, you know design by committee or or something like that. And so um, I think uh, those are all symptoms of not really. Uh, clearly structured organization in the house. Um, and if there would be a, a bit more of, um, um, you know, um, authority relegated to some people around certain topics, maybe that will be um, less common. Uh, but maybe that would happen uh, less. Yeah. I, I think it's also like an invocative of like UX maturity in general, like outside of even workshops. So like a lot of DAOs are low UX maturity because of just the, the distribution of skill set. You know, they're off, they're often overly manned in one particular area and not manned in other areas. And so I guess speaking to a designer that has had workshops used against me or used to control my work, I mean, my advice to fellow designers is, Unfortunately, you kind of have to appear agreeable and but at the same time have like very strong boundaries over certain things. So like the, the designer playbook is like you can intake ideas and be like, mm-hmm, yeah, it can do a little placating, to be honest. But then, <laughs> you know, strategically frame your point of view about why the design should be X, Y, Z in a you got to sell it. Unfortunately, um, even though you, it's kind of you know demeaning to have to constantly sell and legitimize your skill set. It is something that I've had success in to avoid design by committee or to push back. And like over time, the the longer I'm in an organization, the more they trust me, and then naturally I can just do my job instead yeah. of having to have people constantly come in and and put their little stamp on every little thing that I'm doing. Um, and I yeah. would honestly push back against workshops. Just be like, if you feel that a workshop is, is designed by committee or that's going to be used for design by committee, like tell them, Oh, actually, I think we can solve this problem without that. How about we just take in ideas and then you just take the ideas that are good and leave the ideas that aren't and, and then just do your job, you know? And, 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 and there is, no, there is a way to, to, there's a better way to, uh, test the design, which is you do is build testing, right? <laughs> and so that should be that should be the moment where where designs are are, are tested, really, because um, uh, trying to design by committee a particular feature or a particular functionality or a particular whatever uh, will always end up in a in a in a a lack of ownership about the design from the designer. So the designer will feel that. Yeah, I, I, I'm not really creating this. I'm not really the um, the owner of this design, and so uh, inevitably that that human being will feel like, well, I don't give a f- I don't give a shit if this is good or not. I mean, I'm just doing what I'm told, and that's it. I'm gonna get paid, and if the product is successful, good. If it's not, I don't give a shit, right? And so that's not conducive to to good uh, quality outcomes for sure. So. Um, yeah, I mean, in in those cases, design designers should be should be more protective of their of their authority and their uh, expertise and uh, push back against against that. Um, and uh, and honestly, I don't think it's that hard because usually design by committee uh, outputs such shady designs that is pretty obvious to to show uh, why they're bad. Um, and uh, and uh, usually a good designer can just out-design 
whatever comes out from a, a committee. The real problem is that uh, if the output of the design by committee is the uh, idea and the solution that the loudest voice in the room uh, already had, then that's the problem. Because then you have a confrontation between what you as a designer think is the good design and what the you know CEO or the product manager or whatever thinks should the design should be right, and 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 now you have a a, a bigger problem. That's 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 um, that's something that's something else, right? And that's usually the case, and and it happens a lot. Actually, you you were talking about um, about workshops, and and I I remember a story where uh, I did a prioritization workshop with a with a company. And um, the CEO was there, and uh, we ended up the the workshop with a uh, what I thought was a good um, outcome of the prioritization, where uh, you know I I made the work to prepare the workshop to include the right people in there, uh, so on and so forth, and um, it almost like uh, you know twenty minutes uh, before the end of the workshop, the CEO uh, had to leave. And uh, what was in the uh, prioritization matrix was not what he wanted to be, right? It was not, it was not the, the, the features that he wanted, uh, but it was what the group decided collectively and what the group thought was best uh, as the priority. But the CEO found uh, thought that it was a good idea to uh, leave early because he was late for something or whatever. And he just went to the board and he changed the priorities in front of everybody. And he said, yeah, yeah, yeah this is all fine and dandy, but I want this to be the priority. And he changed them uh, in front of everybody. And then he left. And when he left, uh, a couple of people that were part of the workshop that were part of the company said, yeah, yeah, he changed that, but we didn't agree with that. We're going to do what we decided to do, not what he wants, Right. And, uh, I mean, there was quite something because they understood that the process that we went through to decide the prioritizations was a good process and the outcome was actually better than what the CEO always wanted. And even though the CEO used this extreme act of force to, after the end of this three-hour workshop, just override the whole output and say, no, no, I'm the boss, I'm in charge, I say this is the way, uh, the people in 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 the team decided, no, no, no. We're not going to do what the CEO says. We're going to do what we decided here is going to be the priority, and they changed it back, right? So that's that's one of the examples mm-hmm. where workshops could be good, but um, you know, it, it was kind of a, a very unique kind of thing, and uh, not always possible, really, because there's a bunch of other uh, power plays at uh, uh, in, in 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 this game, basically. Yeah, I love a good mutiny. Um... Yeah, exactly. That's what it felt like. It felt like uh, people were revolting and saying, no, 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 we we agreed to do this workshop because we knew that the CEO wanted to go this way, but we think it's not a good way because we are closer to the ground, we are closer to the customer, we are closer to the reality, yada, 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 right? And so it it felt like a mutiny. Yeah, I think I've I've uh, you know worked with founders before, and I think their pie in the sky you know um, point of view can be useful at times because they're so far away from it. I often like to test things with my founders, but again, like you said, that was just very you know disrespectful. Remember, we're we're the people at the end of the day that are going to be doing this labor, doing this work, and so we should be the ones closest to it. We should be designing and having ownership over our work. Like you know, you're your role isn't prioritization, honestly, as a CEO, your role is, is more operational. And so you shouldn't really be derailing a whole product strategy just because you feel one way or another. Because <laughs> like you said, the CEO has, doesn't have, like if he had stayed, maybe he would have been able to hear the different perspectives of everybody in the room and, and arrive at the same place. And then also it's bad because the group didn't get to hear the executive perspective of this. And so it was just a community. And I think that speaks to a greater issue with workshop is that miscommunication that can happen if certain people aren't, if the right people aren't in the room and how, you know, the results of a workshop can can kind of feel like top down of like, oh, a group of people decided this thing and now I got to do this thing. So like it can be, can feel, um, you can feel like you don't have ownership over your work, especially if a group of people are deciding a thing that you touch. So that's why it's important to have, like you said, the, the right people in the room 
I guess moving forward, we can talk a little bit about, I guess, this isn't ex- exactly workshop, but personas are often things that are workshopped in a company. I've seen them go very wrong. I've seen a few of them go very right. Mm-hmm. What, what are your kind of, and we talked about this a little bit in our, our, our first episode, but workshop personas, like, what do you, what yeah. do you think about that? <laughs> well, um, well, I mean, there's a bunch of uh, arguments to be made that the uh, personas are not really useful. And uh, um, my usually, usually my response to those, to those, to the arguments that I've seen around that is uh, that people are not doing personas um, in the right way. Um, and uh, we, we need to, we need to take a step back and remember that um, personas are a design um, um, output, but they're also used by other disciplines like marketing, for example, and they were kind of, um, you know, uh, taken over by, by, by marketing a little bit. And, uh, if we look at, uh, how personas should be made from a design point of view, from a design process point of view, um, those processes to do personas, uh, are a little bit different than what most people actually do. I do think making personas is a good use case for a workshop. I do think that uh, the information about who are our customers is in a lot of people's minds. And so personas can be done via a workshop. Um, I do think also that most organizations and most people do personas in the very, very, very wrong way. Uh, and so it, it's not a surprise that uh, a lot of people don't uh, understand the value of doing personas and don't even do personas because they think they're, they're a waste of time. Um, and uh, what I think is the difference really is that uh, I've done workshops where we, um, where we've, try to answer the question, who are our customers? But uh, we were not doing personas as the, you know, um, the commonly used uh, um, design output. We were doing uh, proto-personas, which I think are much more suitable to... um, to the design of the design of software and digital products. Um, And the the difference between personas and proto-personas is that you start by doing proto-personas and they're called proto-personas because they're a prototype of what the personas should be. And uh, you start by doing them uh, just, you know, out of the uh, intuition of what the team thinks the users are without doing any research. And that's why they're a prototype of a persona. And then as you're doing more research and as you're learning more about your customers, you need to update those proto-personas. And so proto-personas should be done uh, at first uh, in the beginning and then should be updated every week or every two weeks. Um, And people don't do that usually. People usually do personas once and they decide that those are their customers and for the next Two or three years, they print posters with those personas. They stay on the wall of the office, and those are their customers for the next two or three years because you know they already printed the poster. So, what the heck? We're not going to update it and print it again, right? And so, it's it's not really it's not really how personas should be done. Um, people should think about personas as something that is always changing because the world is always changing, and the human beings that are our customers are always changing as well. And so we should um, actually use proto personas and update them, update them every week. And uh, they can be done collaboratively in the workshop to on the first uh, on the first instance to to kickstart them, and that's actually good practice. Uh, but then they can be updated by you know people from customer support, people from sales, people from design, people from research. Um, everybody in the company could should be able to update them with new information that they find about their customers and um, uh, they should not be a static deliverable. <laughs> they should be a very dynamic um, piece of information that the company uses as the reference to who their customers are. Yeah. I guess I don't have as much of pers- experience about with personas other than from a marketing lens, like using quantitative data for personas, which is like kind of problematic, kind of not. Um, but I personally think that like, Personas are hard to do in a workshop because it's hard to document the individual experiences of various people in the company 
in different contexts to then, you know, create a smorgasbord of like a summary of a sets of people. And I think it's easier to do, you know, I think you need a lot of interviews to do personas as well. I think you need a lot of rich data, especially if you don't know your, who your customers are at all, like in a discovery study of at least like 20 to 30 people. And then you take that data from that study, compare it to your quantitative data that you have about like, you know, demographic stuff, even though sometimes demographic stuff is not really super useful. And then you take anecdotal experiences from, you know, customer service agents from sales and that then you now you have a bunch of data. And I think a a workshop is good to like parse through that data because it's very hard to go through all that data without like a full ass research team dedicated to like, you know, aggregating it. But also I think personas are really only super useful to like the U the UX team, you know, the product management team and maybe the marketing executive team. I have not in my experience seen an engineer or anybody with a technical deck background care or or use persona in their work. And so I think it it might be okay for you to have personas, but know that like the people who are going to benefit from that work need to be a part of that workshop the most and not. um, And I think including everybody in the company for the sake of this is our customer might not be super useful and you might need different personas for different, like not necessarily completely different personas, but you might have to rewrite or retailor your persona depending on the person role who's going to use this persona like marketing needs different information than ux needs than than product strategy needs and business development you know yeah um i've I've worked i've worked in corporations like bigger companies that the marketing folks add their own personas and the uh, design product design uh ux research folks add their own set of personas and they were different uh but but i i i mean Either way, I, I don't really believe in uh, in personas in, in doing personas as in the traditional way of doing personas, which is we do a bunch of research, we compile that research, and we end up uh, deciding that these are the personas that we're catering for, and then we you know print the posters, put put the posters on the wall, and that's it. I, I don't think that's I, I think that, that used to work in the old days, um, and and not really for the speed at which we design and build things in the digital world nowadays. And so for, for the, the, the world of today, I think it's a much more um, suitable way of thinking about the personas as everything we know about our customers is wrong. And the, you know, the documentation about who our customers are, we call that proto personas and they are prototypes and they are getting iterated every week and they change every week because we do know that it's not going to be possible for us to do a big study and, you know, just finalize the full definition of who our customers are in a set of personas that's going to be, you know, static for the next two years, right? That's not, that, that's not realistic. And so it's, it's much uh, healthier to operate on the assumption that we have no idea who our customer is. We think we know, we think they are like this, and we have an hypothesis that they are like this, but as soon as we have new information that they are maybe a bit different or that maybe there's a new type of customer that we are also catering for, we create a new proto-persona or we update the proto-personas that we have and we keep doing it. Um, the real the real usefulness for personas is for everybody that is in the product team uh, or in a, in a not just in the product team, but in the whole organization to realize that they're not creating something for themselves they're creating something for somebody else, right? They're, ser- they're serving a customer that is a different human being than themselves. And so that's why it is useful to have uh, personas as a, as a, as a concept um, so that people can refer to them when they're making decisions and they can say, okay, I'm not going to decide what I think would be more suitable for me as a person, but I'm going to decide if I would be in the shoes of, you know, John Doe, the persona that we that we that we define, and I think proto personas also accomplish that goal because people can still refer to them as oh let's decide as if we were Jean Doe the proto persona and not ourselves, and that's that's why people should do personas is to 
for the whole organization to realize that they're not doing this for themselves, they're doing this for somebody else, and that somebody else has certain types of characteristics and behaviors and needs that um, are not the same as, as the ones that they have. So um, that's, that's I think, the, the main usefulness of personas. And, you know, people that sometimes do, do personas and just uh, print them and put them on the wall and, uh, and never look at them again, they're not really... Uh, using personas properly, so that's I don't know. why I have a question about that because if you're doing personas right, are behaviors changing so drastically week to week that you need to update them? Like, I think it depends on like. I guess I'm curious of like, what are you putting in your personas? Because the types of things that I put in my personas are like motivations, frustrations. What are the knowledge that this person has? What are their weaknesses? What are their core needs? I don't see that changing week to week. I don't know. Can you, you know, like? Let me know a little bit about like how the information that you've included in personas that you feel are, are going to change that that often. Yeah, the, uh, the thing is not so. The, probably the behaviors and the needs don't, don't change, but the landscape on how that occurs in people change. So what usually happens is that if you do a first set of proto personas, let's say you have uh, eight different proto personas, right? Uh, and you have on this eight proto personas, you have people that behave in this way, and people that have that maybe behave in the opposite way. But your product is supposed to cater for both, right? And uh, and by the way, this is the big difference between um, marketing personas and design personas, which is marketing personas are usually uh, drawn up from segments, and by segments I mean. Uh, oh, we have a population, or we are trying to cater to a population, and the uh, segments of those uh, of that population end up being, oh, this is a, a woman with uh, 36 and a half years old on average, with uh, 1.7 kids on average, and 2.1 cars on average, and blah, 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 and has this needs and has these behaviors, right? And so when you're talking about averages, you're talking about segments of populations, not not real human beings. Personas uh, that should be used for product design, they should be representative of uh, believable human beings. So they don't have 2.1 cars. They have two cars or they are divorced and they uh, also uh, are a mom and they need to pick up the kid at school and blah, 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 blah. And uh, um, they should be uh, defined in the way that they are believable, that they actually exist so that the people that are creating the product uh, can more easily relate to them and create the product for themselves. And so when you have a landscape of these product personas, when you find out new information about your customers, you realize that, oh, actually, we had product persona one and two that had different uh, needs and, and behaviors, but actually we realized that the number one persona had also some behaviors and needs of the number two persona, right? And so you should update that. If you, because you have more information. So what at, what ed, what ends up happening when you update proto personas is that you will either end up with more types of different proto personas because you realize, oh, actually we have a new type of customer and it's this one that we haven't thought about before and now this one has these needs and behaviors and so on. Or uh, actually we didn't distribute the behaviors and needs properly according to these different types of customers. And so we need to shuffle them around so that it gets more representative of reality of what we think now is reality. So it's not just, you know, updating the full persona document is maybe updating just one little bit of it, but um, the exercise of continually, continuously updating reminds people that, Oh wait, personas are not that static. They are a living document and we should be always trying to update them as soon as we have more information about the customer. So that's, that's mostly the reason why um, they should be updated is because it creates this idea of, okay, this is not static information. We are always learning about our customers and we should mm-hmm. always uh, have the information up to date. And probably we didn't uh, um, uh, have the right needs and motivations on all of the personas or we're missing one type of persona. And so we should add mm-hmm. another one and so on. So um I would say it's probably hard to do that well, right? Because you don't want to update personas based on anecdotal information either. Like you want not just one, yeah, yeah, exactly, not just one, exactly. (laughs) People can people can can incur in that uh, 
in that uh, you know it's 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 tempting to do that because mm-hmm. uh, you can you can hear a, a very interesting story about a particular customer and you're like oh shit it, this is for the person number two and now we should update it and so on. Uh, you should you know hold your horses a little bit before you do that. But once you have two, three, or four, and you can back that by by analytics, for example, then you should do it. Um, but yeah, I mean, even though I think that the biggest challenge on personas is to keep them um, relevant, you know, in the organization, because what usually happens with most persona projects is that either the personas once they're done. And now nobody looks at it. Uh, uh, nobody looks at them for the next two years, right? Um, and then uh, two years after, you do personas again and you update them, and now yes. they they just get updated every two years, right? And it's really hard to fight other people's anecdotal experiences. Like I personally, I don't want to throw where I work under the bus, but you know <laughs> we've do, we've done personas, but like a lot of people on our team are constantly in, in community with uh, with people in conferences, people in DAOs, and they tend to. I mean, it's it's human nature to value that, even though it is maybe anecdotal, versus the personas that you know design has you know has put together and that has been done you know with like l- lots of data, and and so it's really hard to fight that you know, especially in DAOs where we are building with our community a lot of times and people are like, you know, so closely knit to the work that it's easy to just be like, Oh, I know our customers. I talk to them all the time. I don't need a persona, you know, yeah, right. things like that. You know, you know, you know, what would be cool in, in DAOs is if uh, the customers themselves could design themselves as a persona for the, for the company, for the organization. Uh, almost. Uh, this is an extreme, obviously, but uh, I mean, I, I don't think it, it is. Um, I, I mean, I think it's better for people to get anecdotal evidence that they experienced because they contacted someone specifically, and they uh, want to, for example, update the persona's document. For example, I think that's better than not thinking about the persona's at all. So. Um, so that, that that that's one thing. The, the other thing is that, uh, of course, that if you do have a process to update the personas uh, or the proto personas, and that process has some requirements, as in, well, it needs to be said by more than two or three human beings, and it needs to be backed by analytics and blah 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 blah, whatever it is, process, um, like everything else in the organization, it should follow the process, right? And the process should be iterated upon until it gets uh, oiled up and people. Uh, um, can easily follow it and, and so on and so forth. Uh, I mean, it, it is it is one of those things that um, because we're trying to answer constantly answer the question, who are we doing this for? Who are our customers? It is, I think, worth the effort to go through establishing a process that continually updates that information in a way that everybody maybe can update it. Uh, given certain requirements, uh, everybody can see it. Obviously, everybody can take uh, make use of it. Uh, it's almost like a, a, a product of the organization, you know. People should be able to uh, use personas as, as if uh, as if it is a, a product of the organization, and they should be able to use it in the as many contexts as possible. And they should be able to, you know, start to start start to, to to talk in. Oh, yeah, that's what persona X would do, or that's what persona Y would Y would think, and so on and so forth. Uh, the goal of personas is to embed the organization with this knowledge of who their customers are, so that the the organization becomes more customer centric, and th- that's I mean the, the the main priority I think. Yeah, I, I'm with you on that. I think I think um, they need to evolve, and you need to con- constantly be in community with your, your users to to use them effectively. And honestly, I I personally maybe I'm just a little gatekeeper or whatever, but I feel like if you don't have the skill set within your organization to do personas well, hire a researcher, please, um, to help you have the skills and and the way and add rigor to your personas versus a bunch of people guessing at who their customers are. Um, because I, I can like we've said before, you know, the only thing worse than no research is bad research. Um, yeah, and, 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 and the and the risk of doing bad personas is actually very very harmful because <laughs> what what can happen and 
I mean, I mean, even when you have researchers doing it and, and uh, maybe they don't facilitate the workshop correctly and so on, is that you can end up with personas that are just, you know, uh, a collection of prejudice, you know, <laughs> because it's like, you know, this, this very, um, this very um, maybe polarized, maybe extreme representation of an idea of a human being that people have. Uh, that uh, maybe it's not real, maybe it's full of prejudice, maybe is a bit even harmful at times. And so um, a good process to the personas takes care of that and uh, kind of uh, diffuses that and needs to take that needs to take that into account. And the, usually people that are doing personas that uh, uh, you know don't really have the experience to do it or the skills to do it, they end up with a bunch of, you know, uh, comical characters that they call their users and uh, that's even borderline disrespectful for the human beings that are their customers. So yeah, <laughs> it, yeah. It, it, needs, it needs to be very carefully done because otherwise you end up with a collection of just prejudice uh, that represents a human being. And uh, you should use as a litmus test for this, which is, okay, mm. if this human being that we're trying to represent in this persona would see this persona document, would he be, he or she be offended with by it? Yeah. If they would, yeah. if they did, if they would, then maybe you're going, maybe you're. And also don't get me started on like bias and personas and, 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 you know, yeah, that's, a lot of, that's... and like, you know, racial stuff and, and like assumption that, you know, that is just a whole can of worms in terms of, like done but, poorly, it could go really wrong. Yeah, it could go short. really wrong. That's the thing because <laughs> it, it looks like it, like it looks like something inoffensive at first. Well, mm-hmm. Oh, I mean, I'm sure we can act some personas together, and I'm I'm, I'm sure PMs and people that maybe don't have all, all the skills to do it have said this and have done it. But the the potential harm on doing that is actually a bit invisible, and so you would you would end up with something that's very. Uh, even potentially harmful. And now imagine building a product on top of that information, right? So you're now designing and building a product that is catered to serve this personas that are just a collection of prejudice that people come up with. I mean, it's not, it's not, it's not cool at all. Yeah. I think we can end it. Well, thank you for listening to this episode of designer Dow. Uh, remember to follow us on Twitter, Telegram, um, you can create a community profile at designerdow.xyz.